0: These are the very words of the living God. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind Lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And once the man, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up Your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The grass withers and the flowers fall. The, the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that your spirit will take your words and do your intended work again in our hearts. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As we continue this morning in John's gospel, the pattern that we've already seen established is again clear to us. A time marker and then a few verses of introduction and historical information setting up the narrative or the teaching that John would like to give to us. With the ultimate goal of this passage and all, as we've already seen, finding out a little more about who this Jesus Christ was and is and how we obtain salvation through belief in his name. Today, this grace and salvation comes to a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. A question as we begin, food for thought, Have you ever seen a pair of legs that have not moved in 38 years? I mean, really looked at them. It was in the winter of my seventh grade year that my mother yelled down to me downstairs, Mark, someone wants to talk with you at the door. And I bounded up the stairs, which I used to be able to do in those days. And it was Mrs. Miller, our next-door neighbor. And I said, hi, Mrs. Miller. And she said, Mr. Miller would like to offer you a job. Could you come over with me and talk with him? Sure, I said. Mr. Miller was a wonderful Christian man in his mid-50s that had a CPA business that was attached to his garage. A little waiting area, a couple of parking spaces. He ran a very... Successful business out of there And Mr. Miller um, Had Child onset polio When he was young And was paralyzed from the waist down And lived in a wheelchair Little did I know What this job would be And that the job Would be every weekday For the better part of the next Two years Think about this Students Mr Miller had hired me to come into his bedroom every morning about 6:30 a.m. The first thing that I would do is go over and shut off the oscillating bed that he slept in. It oscillated just like this all night and it was a wonderful invention because it prevented him from, and others with severe polio from being in an iron lung. But I would wake him up, the bed would come to rest, I had a, a lift that I would lift him up, take him into the bathroom, then take him into the shower, take him out, dry him off, put on his, help him put on his underwear, socks, pants, tie his shoes, and say, have a good day, Mr. Miller, and he'd say, see you tomorrow, sport, every day. Every day, Monday through Friday, every week. Now, I recall vividly that first time that I went over. And he purposely wanted nobody there. The person that would, had, had done it before was gone or, or, or could have showed me. But he wanted just to show me what to do. So there was no time for embarrassment as I was uh, just listening to every detail of what I had to do and I didn't want to mess up but as i strapped him for the first time in that machine and hydraulically lifted him up with my with my hand i moved him off and i will never forget that first horrifying sight of mr miller's polio stricken legs up close and personal And as I, for the first time later that morning, dried them off, which I did every morning, I remember feeling each bone that was created to have strong muscle tissue taut around it, feeling like a bone literally wrapped in newspaper and bunches of newspaper. But more than anything, it was the sight of those legs up close and personal. As I put him on that, those two legs were seemingly like two huge knees and two huge feet just barely stuck together, just dangling in front of me, inches from where I looked. I would get to know those legs better than I have known any other pair of legs, including my own. I've titled this message this morning, Look at the Legs. So as we approach our chapter this morning, I'd like us to look at the legs and this miracle that Jesus performs on this unnamed man. Isn't that how he's been doing this? The the woman at the well was unnamed. This man is unnamed as well. But... I want us to look at the legs first in your outline from the perspective or the eyes and heart of the man himself in verses 1 through 7. We'll say that this is the miracle required. Secondly, from the eyes and hearts of Jesus and the man, we'll see in verses 8 and 9, the miracle received. And finally, From the eyes and hearts of the Jews, in verses 10 through 18, we'll see the miracle rejected. So first, the miracle required. Look at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Again, John starts off his section of his writing like he does every section with a time marker after this. Of course, he's, we ended up last week in chapter 4 with Jesus in Galilee, and this is an undetermined time, but it's after that. There was, of course, three required uh, feasts for the Jews. So after this, there was a feast, and Jesus was in Jerusalem. So we knew it, it has to be either uh, the uh, the. Pentecost, which comes 49 days after the Passover, or in the fall, we had the Feast of Booze or Tabernacles. It was one of those. We don't know which one. But verse 2 says that at this point, we do know that the feasts are at Jerusalem and the town is abuzz. Verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep's Gate a pool In Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, in these lay multitudes of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Notice again how John, in his background and historical setting, does not leave room for speculation. Could this be a true thing? Could it not be? John says, there is in Jerusalem a pool. This is significant, because before the 1880s, the common belief was that John had just either made this up and was mistaken. Commentary after commentary, scholar after scholar, would say, yes, we believe the story is true and useful, but John says there was a pool, there's no pool. Until 1888, when a construction project revealed what could possibly have been this pool of Bethesda. And it wasn't until 1956 that a detailed archaeological uh, team spent nearly two years uncovering these pools. And it was a single pool divided into two, and they sure enough found the posts which made up these five colonnades. Now, we don't need archaeological proof to believe the Bible is true, do we? And of course it is a help to understand why verse 3 says and in these lay a multitude of invalids blind lame and paralyzed during the feast at the pool. Now it's at this point if we if you were reading earlier with me the ESV you would notice that part of verse 3 and verse 4 were omitted from the text. Let me explain. Uh, that those two, those two portions of verses explained exactly what the invalids were doing there. Now, the simple answer as to why that they were, are not included in some of your Bibles and maybe included in others is simply depending on your school of thought or the, or the typical school of thought around textual criticism, some scholars feel that this portion of scripture is an added explanation and it could well be, or as they would call it, a gloss that was added by folks to explain what the text says. While others, the camp that I personally am in, feel that there is a majority. Of ancient texts, not maybe the most old, the oldest texts that do have it included, and we do note that that many, not more than, not a few, many of the early church fathers speak of these verses as as early as in the mid one hundreds. But I want you to know that there are good reformed. Bible teachers and scholars on each side of this issue. And when we see this, not a lot of times, but sometimes when it comes up in Scripture, and it, it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, we need to not lose any confidence in the Word of God, yet it, it also it adds to the integrity and our confidence that we have the Scriptures preserved and that care this much care is taken. Now, what the controversial text says that was taken out is that occasionally an angel would come and stir the waters, and that these waters would be stirred, and the first one that needed to be healed that dove into the water would be healed. So the blind, the lamed, and the paralyzed would wait for the stirring of the water and dive in believing that they could possibly be healed. Now, we have absolutely no evidence that this is true or whether there are any healing that actually took place there, nor is it really germane to our story. Because a man is healed here. And a man is healed by the touch of Christ, not an angel stirring the waters. But it is interesting when Jesus talks to the man he gives the reason why he is there, and it corroborates with what those other verses say. So thanks to John for another great timestamp and background to look at. Incidentally, after 1956, when they did that archaeological dig around the pool of Bethesda, they found a fresco dating back to the first century that was a, basically a tile picture that showed a feather Touching the water. And next time you're in Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, you can see it up close and personal with the Ben Haram tourism services, a 90-minute walking tour that will cost you only $89.50 each per person. That's not made up, but our text is not made up. Either Back to the text, verse 5. The pool is crowded with miracle seekers. Verse 5. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there for a long long time, and he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And that's an interesting question, isn't it? You you would think, Oh, uh, of course I'm here. But the sick man answered... Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is steward. Again, if we didn't have those those other words of, of, of explanation, we would certainly need them here, wouldn't we? And while I am going, another steps down before me. Now, right away we get a picture of this man. It confirms the earlier verses that he was there for a miracle. Which brings the bigger question, doesn't it? Who was he? What was his name? How was he paralyzed? How did he get there? Jesus knew the text that the text said he had already been there, laying there a long time, but just to him and him only, Jesus says, Do you want to be healed? The man can't even comprehend the question. He, in effect, is saying, Are you serious? Do I want to be healed? Sir, why else would I be here and look at the legs? But thinking perhaps this man might be able to help, he says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm going, and while I try to get in, the others beat me in there so that I can't get my miracle. He thinks, could this possibly be the man that would sit with me, that would wait? and pray with me, that would watch the water closely with me. With this guy with me, we could be more diligent than anybody else watching for that stirring of the water. Perhaps together, when the water is stirred, first with this man, I could be in the water and actually be healed. For everyone in that crowd, different ailments, different diseases, Different backgrounds, but all are like our man, aren't they? A miracle is required. They are all desperately in need of a miracle. They are helpless and they are hopeless. Look around, my friends, in this room and beyond, where we work, where we travel, where we shop, where we walk around with the use of our legs, going to and fro, healthy in one sense. But the folks that we see and come in contact with are just as hopeless and helpless as this man. Am I speaking to you this morning? Is your life like this man? Only your paralysis is not in your legs that everybody can see, your paralysis may be in your soul. Fear, anxiety, lust, greed, brothers and sisters, dissatisfaction and envy, like this man, cripple a human heart. Like this man, you may have been paralyzed for eight, 18 28 or even 38 years. And what do we do? How has your solution worked out for you? We go from one thing to another, looking for salve of our consciences, looking to alleviate our guilt, thinking perhaps the next thing will make me truly happy the purchase of the next movie the next tv show the next cosmetic surgery surely i can be happy and fulfilled when what is it i remember in 1971 my dallas cowboys made the super bowl for the first time and as a young boy i cried when they lost to the colts in a last second field goal It was just a number of years later, in 1993, I was in the stands when they won the big game against the Buffalo Bills. And as my brother and I went to our hotel room after that, I remember us saying, Oh, that was great. You think they could win it again next year? The satisfaction of seeing the team win lasted less than an hour and a half. On to the next one. Well, perhaps if I do this or if I do that, Jesus is saying to you this morning, do you want to be healed? Come to the end of your rope. Just like this paralyzed man, a miracle is required for you. Years before I worked for Mr. Miller, I got in the habit of early on Sunday mornings, getting up before every, everybody else and turning on the TV to watch Notre Dame football highlights from the day before with Lindsey Nelson and Paul Horning in our little black and white TV. But right after those thirty minutes of highlights, and they'd always say, "Now moving on to further action," you know, they they have the whole game in thirty minutes. Uh, a woman preacher by the name of Catherine Coleman, used to come on the television. She was a radical faith healer. Look her up if you've never seen her. But she would look into the camera every week. And me as a a seven-year-old kid watching that, she would have this big microphone around her neck and she would look into this camera with this glazed eyes and I exaggerate not, look it up, she would say, I believe in miracles just like that. And then for the next half hour there would be a sermon at is the best way you can put it and then people coming past and being touched by Catherine. I can remember being seven years old child and knowing very little about the scriptures thinking this has nothing to do with true Christianity, and I remain so 50-plus years later. What takes place in the name of God and healing has nothing, will never have nothing, and can have nothing to do with the healing of Jesus Christ as seen in the Scriptures. Back to the text. Look at verse 8. And see the miracle received. The man says in seven, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm going, another one steps in. It's hopeless. And Jesus simply says, get up. And with the very same word that spoke creation into existence, the 12 separate bones in those legs, the tendons, the s- the, the, the 12 separate muscles, the tendons, the 60-some-odd bones came to life, multiplied, divided, and attached, and the man got up. And I think about Mr. Miller's legs and what it would have looked like for immediately those bones and muscles to come have strength and fill out, and the man stand up. It may not be recorded, But can't we just hear that man say, look at the legs! I can walk! They're filled! I have muscle! Jesus says, get up. Take up your bed. And the tense is, keep walking. Get up. Take your bed and keep walking. And the Bible says, and at once the man was healed. That's healing, true healing, miraculous healing. Not being able to do a deep knee bend somewhere in the audience. For money, extorting. Oh, the joy. Do you want to be healed? Is the cry of the gospel this morning. It's the cry For it's the power of God and the salvation. And yes, it's for you. It's for me. It's the message of salvation. That everyone that believes and everyone who has already believed needs it just as much. Oh, I love to tell the story of unseen things above. Of Jesus and his glory. Of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. Including a Super Bowl or World Series win. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing The new, new song, twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Now, as we get ready to look at our final point of the sermon, something that has puzzled many for a long time, perhaps you as well, needs to be discussed. Why this man? Why not the entire pool? Why wouldn't Jesus stand up and say, who wants to be healed? All of you look this way. You are healed. And a mass conversion, a mass healing would take place. Why? I remember as a a child hearing these stories, wondering things like that. Well, the answer to that question was and is the miracle that actually was received. And we find ourselves now in a crossroads in the gospel of John. For starting right now, over the next couple of chapters, culminating with chapter 8, we begin to see the fulfillment of John's words in the prologue found in the first chapter, verses 11 and 12. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Here we see in our text, we have Christ and his miracle received, and now we will see that miracle rejected. Look again at verse 8. Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And once the man was healed, he took up his bed and he walked. And then the words almost set aside. It says, now that day was... The Sabbath. And we automatically think, oh no, this is not going to go well. You remember what happened in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus says, stretch forth your hand, and that withered hand, the same. What do you mean, stretch forth my hand? I'll try. There it comes on the Sabbath. Leave it to the religious crowd to try to destroy the works of the Spirit. Look at what just may be the most crass and sad, saddest verse in the entire New Testament. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man, what man? The man who has been a cripple for 38 years and has not walked. The Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Seriously, how sad. A man walking for the first time in 38 years, and this is how you respond? The explanation of this verse is really interesting because the emphasis is almost like uh, a basketball referee calling foul something he sees. This was a, a common occurrence of the Jews where they would yell at violations that they would see, Sabbath, Sabbath, and point out the grievous error, in this case, the holding of a bed, which is nothing more than a map, a mat probably rolled up. Sabbath, Sabbath, you can't hold that. You can't have that. Let it go. You're working. In this case, the healed man, Sabbath, Sabbath, you are working, carrying a bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. In verse 12, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in place. Jesus heals the guy and before anything happened, he goes out the back. He truly didn't know who healed him. Jesus has perfectly left, but but he will be back, back soon. But in the meantime, and in truth, brothers and sisters, is this not our tendency? Are we not, kind of at heart, all Sabbath, Sabbath yellers, just looking for the chance to point out others' failures, others' sins, can we at least not admit that that is our tendency and if it is your tendency like mine let's try to find another line of work a more positive and graceful way to win friends and influence people as dale carnegie would say here again we want to shake these pharisees these hypocrites Okay, we can, be, we can gladly discuss your Sabbath rules, but in the meantime, did you stop and look at the legs? It's right in front of you. Open your eyes, man. But back to the text. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you are well. Sin no more. Now, these aren't the words that we expect from Jesus, but listen to them. He found the man in the temple and said, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Ah, oh, that's those, those words of Jesus where we just go, oh, man, what do I do with that? Well, much ink has been written trying to explain what Jesus is saying here and Let me, I think, help you. I think Jesus is simply saying, You are healed, but what will it profit you to walk around another few years only to die and go to hell? And we see the man's reaction very quickly and understand he has got that message. Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews, it was Jesus who healed me. I know who he is. It was Jesus that healed me. Look, look at the legs. Look at him. He's off to a good start. And this is why the Jews, the text says, were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And as we come to an end of our text, we see the last words of Jesus, and they gently burn through, piercing the wicked souls of those religious hypocrites. For all of these Sabbath laws, hundreds of them, hundreds of them, even today, you cannot, as a Jew, turn off or on an electric appliance or a switch. It's work. You can't do anything that is associated with, thought of, or possibly interpreted as work on the Sabbath. Here's a couple of examples. The Jews at that time, you know, we didn't have, they didn't have modern dentistry, and they would get toothaches that were just so painful. And one of the remedies for toothaches was vinegar. You would get vinegar, and you would soak it in your mouth and to alleviate the pain. Well, the Jews said, on the Sabbath, you can't do that. That's working. But if in the course of a normal meal, you put vinegar all over your meal and you eat it and it happens to, you know, soothe your tooth, you can do that. You can't put vinegar on your tooth. You can ruin your meal by soaking it with vinegar, hoping that it it helps your tooth. Those are the type of things. Recently in Israel, this is over over like the last year, There was a case where six children died on the Sabbath because the mother had turned on the hot plate to keep the food warm over the Sabbath because she could not dare turn it on or off. She and her husband stepped away and the hot plate caught on fire and burned the house down and killed all six of their children. She didn't break the Sabbath though. That's okay. I mean, it's it's those type of things that Jesus just... Rebuked. Look at what he says. The question is, are we working? You're working on the Sabbath. Put that, put that bed down. That, and Jesus answers them. Yeah, don't you just love the way the Lord works? Jesus says, oh, well, you're talking about work? Well, my Father is working until now, and I'm working. I'm working all the time, including Sabbath. What an answer. You keep all your rules around your work, that's fine. My father's working and I'm working. You've messed even the Sabbath up. And it officially is started from here on in. Look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. This is why he was breaking their Sabbath, not his, and making himself equal with God. Jesus would, Jesus would gladly say, guilty on both accounts. As We come to close this morning. I think it's important, as it always is, not to try to make ourselves the story. It was an an unnamed man, not any of us that had a particular encounter with Jesus like this. But how can the Spirit apply these words to us? We've already alluded to it, but a couple of things to consider as we wrap up. First, look at your own Legs. Now, the Lord may not have healed you from child-onset polio or had you stretched forth a withered hand, but if you are a child of God here, brothers and sisters, know this, that Christ, through his gospel, has called you to himself in a realization of your sin and misery and changed you in just such a miracle. And just like every morning from this day forward, when that man at the pool moved those legs off of his bed and touched those feet to the ground, he did not forget to look at his own legs in appreciation. We need to look at our own legs, remembering each of you, your own miracles. You were once lost. You are now found. You were blind, and now you see. You don't think the same way. You don't like the same things. You get pleasure from things you didn't. Find those ways that he has touched you and look at your own legs. And if you have no clue about what I'm saying, It's time for you, perhaps, even for the first time, to heed your Savior's words that say, would you like to be healed and be healed? And finally, oh, what a lesson to be learned by those who rejected the miracle in our text. Yes, we are called to shepherd, to love, even to rebuke at times people. But we are not the keepers of the Sabbath, nor are we the author of the Ten Commandments. Not only should we be praying that we see more new converts, and we need to be praying for that, but we want to be faithful in seeing them grow in grace, and let us strive with those that may be struggling to come beside them in the spirit of love and humility, remembering Your miracle might not have happened as fast as the man at the pool. It may have taken you, like it did me, 20 years to understand the doctrines of grace. Why could I possibly fight with someone who hasn't gotten them after being a convert for five years? Never forgetting to look at our own legs Looking to the one who loved us, performed, and is still performing miracles for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this encounter. We thank you for this man. We thank you for a Savior who does nothing, does nothing that's not scripted and part of his eternal plan and process. Oh, Lord, help us not to do anything but rejoice in someone else's legs being healed. Help us never take the attitude of the Pharisee and count the ways. Help us have that spirit of love and grace and humility that draws people to you and ourselves to each other. Bless the preaching of your word, in Christ's name, amen.